Tonight I have a special guest. Uh, tonight my guest is Annette Bergen, who is the Executive Director of Endow, which is, represent, or stands for the Educating on the Nature and the Dignity of Women. She is a wife, a mother of three children, and uh, works for a wonderful apostolate that I've known for many years. And so, Annette, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Please uh, tell, for the viewers that are watching at home that don't know about the mission of Endow, what is Endow? Endow is a Catholic women's apostolate, and um, we prepare study guides. Um, and the apostolate was actually formed by three women, um, Marilyn Coors, Terry Polakovic, and Betsy Considine, when they read Pope John Paul II's letter to women that he wrote for the 1995 um, United Nations Council on Women. And they read this letter. It was a letter that Pope um, St. John Paul II wrote for the council, but it actually was addressed to all women. And they had the idea that um, the document is so inspiring. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they had the idea that, wow, all women should have the opportunity to read this document. And um, that's when our initial foundational study guide uh, was created. It's on Letter to Women, and it really unpacks the teachings of St. John Paul II about women and about um, the nature and dignity, the God-given dignity of women. Um, and he talks a lot about the feminine genius, which is also a topic that once women encounter it, and they learn more about their own dignity. It's really transformational. They all of a sudden, um, it it can impact so many areas of their life, uh, of their life, because of the the profound nature of the teaching. Well, you're really involved with Endow as being the executive director. How did you get introduced to Endow? And when was that? Okay, so I actually got introduced to Endow about 10 years ago when a good friend of mine invited me to be a part of an Endow group. And that is part of the nature of how um, Endow introduces these topics to women is we create the study guides, but then we invite women to gather in small groups. Um, probably between 6 and 12 is typical for an endow group. And it's wonderful because uh, there's no homework, there's nothing to prepare, but we actually read the documents out loud together, which creates a shared experience. So now all women, um, all the women in the group are hearing the words of Pope John Paul II or the writings or the teachings of the saints, because we also have study guides on many of the saints. So you experience it together. And then we have discussion questions where you can unpack, okay, how is something that Pope uh, Paul VI or Pope John Paul II or St. Teresa of Avila, how is something that they said, you know, hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, how is that relevant to my life today? And the discussions that happen among the women in the Endow groups are, are really amazing, and that's really where the magic of being involved in Endow comes from. Pope St. John Paul II talks about in his document, Ecclesia in America, so the church in America, and he said, what is gonna make the church in America explode? What's gonna make the Christian life and the faith catch on fire? He said one of those secrets is small groups. Oh, yeah. He said because when you have, it's, just, it's not just saying to, to, to talk about what you're gonna do the weekend, which that does happen in small groups, but actually you're talking about good content that feeds the mind, mm -hmm. but then the conversations that change the heart. 
Absolutely, and it's it's both and. You know, it, it happens together. And what I love about Endow is it's it's very intellectual. It um, it's definitely formative in that nature, but the study guides are written in such a way that something that would have been inaccessible if it was just a document posted on the Vatican website or maybe books that were written, you know, like St. Catherine of Siena's Dialogue or St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. Those are, are um, sources that are really hard to comprehend, especially with the busyness of women's everyday life. We don't have three hours where we can really dig into um, an original source document like that, but then the Endow study makes it accessible, unpacks it, talks about what was the original tent, how it's still relevant today, and um, reading them together with your with your friends, it's it's a wonderful. Well, experience. I'm sure that friends that you actually do make long term long time friends Absolutely. from these relationships. Absolutely. Do you put people in small groups that are of the same kind of the life the, the life place? Do they have young children or? If they have empty nesters, or that—that's a great question because we don't um, put people in groups. We invite people to form their own groups, um, or if they don't have their own group, then they can sign up on the website, and then we will match them up. If we do match them up, we have no idea about ages. And it's really interesting because some of the most fruitful endow groups can be made up of women at all stages of life. You can have women who are single or you know, women who are young mothers. You can have them come together with women who are grandmothers. And the varied life experiences that everyone brings together can make for such a rich and um, Trans, you know, transformational life experience. I believe that, that Pope Francis has been talking about for young people to hang out with those who are further along in the golden years of their life. And for those in the golden years of life to hang out with young people, that this cross-generational conversations can be really fruitful. And we see that. We see that in it, at Endow. But we also see um, women who are looking for um, community, sometimes desire to build their own group based on you know women from their parish, women from their neighborhood, maybe women that they have met through their children's schools. So there's really no, there's no format for an ideal, uh, for an endowed group. There's no you know, typical makeup. It's just whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to, to create. That's beautiful. For you who are watching at home, I'd like to invite you to participate and join the conversation that we're, gonna, that we're having. Uh, our text line is 720-650-0100. So 720-650-0100. You can also make comments on if you're watching on Formed uh, in the comment box below the video where you're watching. So uh, my guest today is Annette Bergen, who works for Endow, a wonderful women's apostolate that introduces people to wonderful rich texts from the, the papal magisterium from written by popes, but also by saints and doctors of the church. Absolutely. Um, if someone wanted to start, so the, the, our conversation today, we're gonna to talk about spiritual maternity. Mm -hmm. like, what does it mean to be uh, a mother? I know in my own uh, life, blessed with a mother, and my wife and I, when we first got married, we wanted to have children from day one of our marriage, but we weren't blessed with children. So I remember going out one time in the, the second year of our marriage, and we went out to brunch at the same day it was Mother's Day. And uh, 
we were struggling with fertility so or infertility and uh, the you know the, the the waitress was really nice but said you know are you celebrating something today and we're like no and just brought, kind of made a wound in us because we wanted to share my wife wanted to be a mother yes uh, and wasn't blessed with that so we but we use that that's that's a na natural biological maternity but what do we mean by the mat spiritual maternity yeah that's a really wonderful question because um, every woman in the universe is called to spiritual motherhood. And it's related to biological, physical motherhood in the sense that, you know, a bio biological mother will shelter a new life within her body and give birth, but then nurture that life, um, take care of that, that young soul, and raise them to be what God intended when he created that new life. So you're hoping as a mother to provide the environment and to provide all the conditions to, you know, fully actualize this individual. Um, but what often happens is that, you know, no mother is perfect and we all have shortcomings, we all have deficits. So we can't always be the perfect mother and that's where spiritual motherhood comes in because there will be other relationships in a you know young person's life that will also nurture them and also bring out all of the potential that God intended when he created this particular person and a lot of times, if spiritual motherhood isn't provided, then maybe that potential isn't able to be fully reached. So that's why there are so many souls in the world, and there are, all women are called to um, become spiritual mothers, to reach out, to nurture those individuals that they encounter, you know, whether they're young, whether they're old, sometimes we can be spiritual mothers to our own parents mm. as they approach the end of their life and they start to struggle with, um, you know, aging and eventually facing, uh, facing their own death. And a lot of times we as women become spiritual mothers to our parents. That's a beautiful insight and observation that, that you bring forth of John Paul II's teaching of that every woman is built in a sense is made in such a way her dignity and her vocation is called to be maternal and so we can even look at someone who's a single a young a single person a married person with children without children uh, as you mentioned grandparents even to our own parents and even uh, i think religious sisters absolutely so we, we call them sister but also oftentimes the superior is called mother a mother absolutely. superior our religious sisters are all spiritual mothers in a in a very deep sense of of the word and i also think of um at endow we have a charism to pray for priests so endow women become spiritual mothers for the priests in our lives in our in our communities by praying for them by caring for them by recognizing you know when they might have a need or a deficit that that we can can provide whether it's you know through spiritual support or whether it's whether it's actual through actually through you know sending cards and encouraging and emails and just affirming them in, in what they're doing. That's a beautiful way to put it that just as there's a spiritual motherhood, there's also spiritual paternity. Yeah. We call priests fathers, that all men are called to be fatherly as well. Absolutely. A question came in while we were talking. Francisco asks, why did John Paul II feel that the dignity of women was under attack? 
Well, I feel like um, since the beginning of time that women have, because men have held the primary positions in the family, in political um, structures and in society, women have not always had the opportunity, have not always had um, the ability to express or to become everything that our Lord intended when he created them. So there are societies where women today still are very much persecuted. There are other societies, including our own, where women are maybe just not always given all of the opportunities that um, that men are given. So from that standpoint, I feel like John Paul II realized that there was an imbalance and that the gift of womanhood and the gift of maternity was limited in a way that was detrimental to society. And so he, through his writings on the feminine genius and um, Molieris Dignitatum, which we also have a study through, um, through an apostolic letter talking about the dignity of women and the feminine genius, was trying to almost unleash the feminine genius on the world and create a situation where all women could fulfill their full potential. One of the things I love that Pope St. John Paul II does in those letters is he's like, I'm writing directly to you as a woman and, and you know, for, you know, to, to the women he's writing as their father, as the Holy Father. And one of the things that he does as he goes through the history, he you know, does a quick summary of some of the history that you mentioned of how women haven't always been treated rightly by society. He says, but it wasn't always meant to be that way. Mm -hmm. He takes it back to the garden, to roots it in divine revelation, mm -hmm. the very first chapters of Genesis, where he says, no, man and woman, Adam and Eve were, were created in the image and likeness of God, and they have equal dignity to help each other, right. uh, to, to reign, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue the earth. Right, and that's an important aspect of um, maternity and spiritual motherhood is that very often it's women because of their intuition, because of their sensitivity, because of their generosity that are more open to um, the aspects of the spiritual life. And so women very often end up bringing men towards the faith because they have a closer connection because of their nature, not always. I mean, there are, there are men that have uh, exhibit a lot of the same qualities, but in general, very often women bring men to the faith. And so the complementarity of men and women really allows each to be who God created and to be the best version of themselves. And you see this in, in the scriptures. If you go through the, the life of Christ in the Gospels, you see that women are just naturally drawn towards Christ. And look oh, at the, absolutely. I call it the foot of the cross principle. Right. We have four women to every one man at the foot of the cross. Yeah. They were there. Absolutely. When everyone else ran away, his most close disciples, his apostles, the women were there. And so they give a great example of bringing people to Christ. And a question related to this is from a mom. How do I encourage my 20 year old to nurture their spiritual life while away from at college? Oh so my a spiritual, gosh. so a mother yes. who wants to encourage the spiritual life of her daughter uh, while they're away at college. That is so difficult because our college environments are not set up to um, foster the spiritual life. And I would say the best thing that um, that you could do as a mother of a child that's away at college is to encourage them in some way to get involved 
in the Catholic or the Christian community on their campus. You know, there will be a Newman Center or there will be a, a focus group. There are Catholic groups available on campus. And to the extent that you can encourage them to participate and connect with other like-minded students, that community um, will probably be the best way to get them re connected to their faith. That's a great response. Are there endowed groups for college students? You know, we really would like to get endowed on college campuses, and we have a few um, pilot programs that we're working on. The difficulty is that college communities are very transient, and so very often, um, you know, once you get a group started, then an, a year or two later, half the group will graduate, they'll move away. So the transient nature of the community makes it difficult to, um, to sustain those groups. But we are hoping to get more involved um, and get more groups on college campuses. And I think that too would be a wonderful way to foster the spiritual life of young people. Putting good material in front of them. Absolutely. Ashley asks, how do women in scripture model spiritual motherhood to us? That's a great question. So looking question. at scripture, are there any examples that we can look, look to? There are so many. I mean, um, obviously Mary. My, Mary is the perfect example of spiritual motherhood. And um, she's just so inspiring because of the way that she expressed her feminine genius. And I love to think about the, uh, the wedding at Cana, where even though her son was God incarnate and he was, you know, the King of King and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace, he too, he needed a little nudge from his mama to actually become, to initiate, to start on that public ministry that he knew would ultimately lead to his death. He needed a little, a little shove from mom. And I love that story because how typical is that? How beautifully does that express the uh, it, the it does. Oh, oh, no, absolutely. But at the wedding of Cana and John and at the end of John's gospel where she's there. Of course. You know, looking at him and, you know, surely supporting him as he offers his life to the father. I can't even imagine. It is difficult for me to imagine what that must be like to see your your own child tortured to death. But yes, she she was there and she um, she bore that agony with such grace. Years ago, there was a movie that Mel Gibson did called The Passion of the Christ that came out. And uh, I remember going and seeing it in theaters and also following the conversation that took place among many Protestants that went and saw that film. And they said that that, that film, just that, that, especially that scene where the flashback of where Jesus falls down and Mary runs to meet him and she re is, remembers when he was a young boy and she ran as a mother oh, yeah. to pick him up. Yeah. And just that flashback was just a, you know, was an artistic genius it moment. It was. And it opened up for many Protestants. They said, I never realized how Mary was real and was his natural mother and how much she would have loved him in that kind of relationship. Right, right. That, that movie was brilliant. But I think one of the most amazing things from that film is how it depicted the relationship between mm -hmm. Mary and Jesus. Because you really saw her maternity, her spiritual motherhood, her physical motherhood. It was, uh, she, that's one of my favorite characters in cinema is is Mary in The Passion of the Christ. He did a great job. One of the things we said, we mentioned in your last answer was, you talked about feminine genius, and Jen writes in and asks, what is the feminine genius? What does that phrase mean? 
That's a great question. The feminine genius was actually, the phrase was coined by, um, I think, Pope Pius Twelfth. He was the first one to write about the feminine genius. But then John Paul really expounded on that. And what the feminine genius refers to is what is amazing about women. And we're talking about generality, so of course it doesn't apply 100% of the time. And it, the qualities of the feminine genius are also found in men, but it, they're those qualities that are predominantly female, and it has to do with the sensitivity of women, the, um, the availability and the receptivity of women to others that is part of our you know, physical makeup as well as our emotional makeup, our intuition, our awareness, our way of perceiving, just all of the things that make women unique. And um, as we talked about before, the feminine genius, some of the qualities of femininity that um, have not had the opportunity to be expressed in all of their fullness because of the way that women have been limited throughout history. Those qualities, if unleashed on the world, could just have a dramatic impact. I mean, talk about restoring the culture, talk about the new evangelization. John Paul II saw the feminine genius as a, as a tremendous, kind of like a sleeping giant waiting to be unleashed on the world. And we pray that it is unleashed. Uh, and one of the phrases that he uses in his letter that just strikes me is a, a, a woman, part of her feminine genius, is a person who sees with her heart. Yeah. It's just a beautiful way of, there's a capacity and orientation to others. Absolutely, that, yes. That she, she displays. The, the availability and the orientation to others. Women very often, you know, very, women are very interested in, in, in people and very often can see into the heart of an individual in a way that men don't always have the same ability. Um, so a woman may be able to to intuit what is behind what's being said, what's behind an action as well as the actual phrase or action itself. So it's, um, it's part of what makes women unique. Well, we have another great question that came in. This is from Christine. Christine asks, current culture is against women having children. This mindset attacks biological motherhood. How do we see spiritual motherhood if biological motherhood is despised? Oh. That's a really, really great question. Um, and the interesting thing is that if biological motherhood is being, um, let's say, not supported as much, then imagine the impact on the souls that are already here if spiritual motherhood goes by the wayside as well. Because it is very difficult. Life is difficult. It is not easy to find your way in this world. And there are so many challenges. And if spiritual mothers weren't available to help us on our journey, all of us have spiritual mothers that have helped us find our way. And if that goes by the wayside, I don't even know how humanity will, will make it. Because, you know, God didn't intend us to figure all this out on our own as individuals. He intended us to work together, to come together in communities, to have 
multiple um, influencers. And if everyone just becomes so isolated, then it's, I can't see how we'll find our way. No, I, I think of the, um, as you mentioned, it's so hard to navigate the world already right. in the natural world. And the supernatural world, is such, it's just a different realm. It's higher. If we, you know, we need that supernatural help to navigate the world in which we live, that, that this world is not all we have that we're made for another world, we're, you know, we're oriented to God and to spend eternity with Him, that we need the spiritual help, the spiritual mothers to help us. And I think of the, the role of a mother, I've been blessed with, with five children now, we've been blessed to grow our family through adoption and uh, through biological children too, a surprise after 12 years of marriage. And one of the things that a mother does, two of the things a mother does, is she teaches her children how to talk and how to walk. Mm -hmm. And this is just the basic, you know, we think, yeah, of course, that's what you do. But just, it's that closeness of the face-to-face, -face, the smile. Pope, Pope uh, John Paul II has this beautiful phrase where a mother's smile is the child's first experience of God. Absolutely. That you just get the loving image of a, of a mother looking at her child and making goo-goo noises, you know, funny noises, baby noises, and you don't care about that self-effacement because you just are so in love with the person in front of you that mothers are constantly putting that on display. And that, that's what spiritual mothers do as well. They teach us how to talk, how to, the, the right language about God and the world, and how to walk, how to live in this world. Absolutely, and a mothers also, spiritual mothers also reflect our dignity back to us. So very often it is hard for humans to learn to understand their nature and dignity if no one ever reflects that back to them. So spiritual mothers and biological mothers become this mirror that says, you are a beloved son or daughter of God you are amazing, you are, you know, made in the image of likeness, image and likeness of God, and you are worthy of love, and I love you. And that knowledge itself is so empowering and so transformational. So as part of God's plan, he gave us women to serve as spiritual mothers to us. Uh, what are some uh, women that you could, for someone at home that wants to look to maybe saints in our church's tradition, who would you recommend, maybe through studies of Endow or other women that if they want to explore of? What, when I look at as somebody, this is a model of spiritual motherhood. Right, well, you, your mind automatically goes to the four female doctors of the church. So we have St. Teresa of Avila, um, who's one of my personal favorites. That has, she's in the 16th century. Right, exactly, and she's kind of um, shepherded me for, for many years now. We have St. Catherine of Siena, who um, was a laywoman, um, but that had tremendous influence and exhibited her feminine genius in an unbelievable way. And then we have um, St. Therese of Lisieux, of course, who is the little flower whose feminine genius is very well known um, through her autobiography, A Story of a Soul. And then the fourth female doctor of the church is relatively obscure, St. Hildegard of Bingen. Yeah. Um, but we have endowed studies on three of the four, and we, uh, we're in the process of writing one on the fourth. So if you're interested in learning about um, these four amazing feminine geniuses, you can always go to our website, 
www.endowgroups.org and um, look at the studies. Is that where someone would want to go if they wanted to join a group as well? Absolutely. Okay. There's, a, there's a page on our website called Groups. If you go to our website, um, there's a page where you can actually sign up to join a group or you're more than welcome, anyone who's interested in Endow, to gather a few of your closest friends and start your own Endow group, choose a study. There's a lot of resources on our website for so women. So if someone's never led a study before, I can see someone watching this show and say, that sounds amazing, I wanna learn about Teresa of Avila, the resources there, but I don't know what to do, how to ask questions. Yeah. Is that all available to them? Absolutely, you can go to the website, but um, we always say that the study guide, the study guide itself is the expert. So you don't need to be an expert in anything. You just have to have um, a, a desire to learn, maybe a charism for hospitality where you can organize a meeting place and a, um, a time so you can coordinate that and then invite your friends. and. The study guide will, will be the expert. You learn together. You have this shared experience of reading, reading the documents out loud. And then just let the conversation go where it, where it leads. Well, thank you, Annette, for joining me. And thank you for joining at home. God bless. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.